The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O There can be no mistaking it that a story like this that Jesus tells is meant to terrify sinners. And it should. It should frighten sinners to hear about the torment that is in hell, where there is a flame that is not extinguished and a worm that does not die, where even just a drop of water would be so precious. That's an unpopular opinion to hold in our world that there is such a place as hell. You've heard it before. What kind of a good God would make a place like hell for sinners to be punished? But here we have it, plain as day in scriptures. And it's not so much that hell is a place God has created, but that it is a place apart from him. It is the place where those who despise God get what they want. To be away from him. Not to hear from him not to see the good things that he has in store for them, to have their own way, to love what they want to love. There can be no mistaking it. This picture of hell is meant to terrify us, and it should terrify sinners everywhere. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. The rich man cried out. The rich man who had comfort in life, the rich man who had so much that he could have shared with Lazarus but did not. The rich man who could have seen God's blessings from one moment to the next, but refused. No, there is a great chasm fixed, Abraham says. There's no crossing from one place to the next. It should terrify us. There's a similar story, maybe, I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's a Charles Dickens story, A Christmas Carol. I know it's unseasonable to talk about Christmas when it's 95 degrees outside, but you know the story, and it's a story that is actually a lot like this parable, you know how it goes. Ebenezer Scrooge is a vile 
human being, full of himself, counting his money day in and day out, despising the poor, not helping his workers, living for himself, and just generally being a bad sport about everything. You know how the story goes that, I think it's on Christmas Eve, some ghosts appear to Ebenezer Scrooge, the ghost of his former business partner, and then the ghosts of Christmas past and Christmas present and Christmas future, and those ghosts show him horrifying sights. Not hell, not Hades, not flames and torment, but lots and lots of regret. Things that he had wished he had done differently, things that scared him when he saw what he had become or who he had been. They terrified him. Those ghosts, those ghosts were terrifying. And on Christmas morning, Ebenezer Scrooge wakes up and he's a different person. He gives to the poor, he celebrates Christmas, which he had never done. He is thankful and happy and joyous. He's a different man, but I want to point out to you something that is stark. As much as we love that story, as much as we love to hear about people changing, becoming different, Charles Dickens gets it wrong. That is not true repentance. For Ebenezer Scrooge to be terrified and so to change his ways is not true repentance. True repentance is not merely being afraid of misery or regretting all of the things we have done or what we might become. Repentance is not simply becoming a decent human being. That's the great myth about the church that the world really struggles with. The world thinks that the church is about making decent human beings. And so, of course, if you think you're a decent human being, you have no need for the church. If you're a good person, if you do good things, if you love your family, if you work hard, if you're charitable and kind, what need would you have of the church if that's all the church is about, if that's what repentance is? If you're not as bad as Ebenezer Scrooge, you don't need ghosts to appear in the middle of the night, much less do you need to hear anything from a pulpit about becoming a good person. How many people think that because they are decent human beings, they're safe? That everything will go well for them? That God owes to them something at the end of their lives? That's not true repentance. It's not merely shaping up because you're afraid of punishment. It is something quite different. This story in our gospel lesson, the parable in our gospel lesson, should frighten even decent people. Even people who are good, people who do good things, people who have never neglected some poor man sitting on the street corner, even they should be afraid. For who can make it through life? Who can make it through life without any ghosts that would haunt you? Who can make it through life thinking that they have done everything that they should? Who can make it through life thinking that they have never once for a moment lived for temporary fleeting things they have never lived for themselves to satisfy their own desires, that they've held on to the things of this world at the expense of their neighbors, at the expense of love, and at the expense of trusting in God. Who could make it through life claiming that? This parable should frighten even decent people. And that's one of the points that is made at the end of our gospel lesson. Abraham tells the rich man, look, even if someone came back from the dead, that wouldn't be enough. That wouldn't be enough. This is an important part of the parable, a warning about the terrors of hell, a warning about regret, a warning about those ghosts that might haunt you. That is not 
enough to save a soul. Terror is not enough. So often people think that's what the church is about. A thundering pastor pounding on the pulpit, scaring people into being good human beings. Terror is not enough. In fact, in fact, fear is part of the problem. You heard it in our epistle lesson. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment. That rich man in our parable, he was afraid. Not afraid of God as he should have been, but he was afraid of plenty of other things. What would so possess a person to hold so tightly to his own possessions that when someone is so clearly in need and he has plenty to spare, he wouldn't help him? What could so possess a person to be so uncaring except fear? Fear that all of the things that he's accumulated in his life he will lose, that he doesn't have enough to share with someone in need, to fear that he has limited time, that his days are numbered and he has to make the most of them now while he has them. What could possess a person to be so callous and cold and loveless except fear? Love of riches is one of the ways that fear manifests in our lives, fear of death, fear of loss. There are all kinds of other ways. I think one of them has to do with why people don't come to church. Because they're afraid of all kinds of other things. They're afraid that they won't get to spend their weekends doing what they want. They're afraid that their downtime will be wasted if they're sitting in a pew. They're afraid that they won't get to enjoy the time that they have, and so they don't come to church. They're afraid that they'll be found fools for listening to God's word, for praying, for singing God's praise. They're afraid. Fear drives so much of life. In fact, I would dare to say that fear drives all of life for anyone who does not trust in God. A life lived apart from God is a life of terror. But terror is not enough. Not even a godly terror of hell. If you come to church only because you're afraid of dying and languishing in flames, that's not enough. That's not faith. That's an insurance policy. It's not trusting in God. Terror is not enough. It turns us either into frightened puppies who at the sight of God, tuck our tails and run and cower. Or perhaps worse, it turns us into callous, hardened people who dig in our heels and live for ourselves and try to make the most of this moment. The point of talking about hell, the point of this parable, is not merely to terrify us. It is something far better, something that actually saves us. The point of this parable is to free us from every false comfort. Jesus is telling this parable to teach us not to put our trust in things that cannot deliver us. Look at that rich man. He trusted in his money. And it paid off for a time, his whole life in fact. But at the end, it failed him completely. That trust was misplaced. It couldn't do anything for him on the last day. Jesus tells this parable to show us That none of the things we are tempted to trust in in this life, none of those things can save us. He tells this parable to show us to avoid false repentance. To show us that repentance is something else than what we think. It's not simply becoming decent human beings. 
It's not the rich man's problem that he did criminal things. It was criminal for him to ignore that poor man, Lazarus, and he should have been thrown in jail and punished for it. That should be criminal. But it's not that he was criminal that lands him in Hades. It's not because he neglected a poor man that he finds himself in hell. Rather, his neglect of that poor man reveals something about his heart. It shows what he trusted, that he trusted in something other than God. The fact that he was unwilling to show mercy to this poor man shows what he thinks of mercy. It's worthless. Certainly not something that he needs. Why should he trust in God? Everything is just fine. You can see. You can see into his heart by his actions. You can see that he's not a Christian by what he does. Just as St. John says, how can you love God? How can you possibly claim to love God if you don't love your brother? How can you claim to love God whom you have not seen if you don't love the one you have seen? If an opportunity for mercy is before you, how can you claim to be the beneficiary of mercy if you ignore the one in need? The rich man got his reward. He received good things in this life. His trust paid off for a moment, but only for a moment. That's why Jesus tells this parable. He doesn't want us to suffer and languish in torment. He doesn't want our hopes and our dreams to be dashed because we have dreamed and hoped for too little. He doesn't want our trust to fall empty because we have trusted in empty things. When Abraham refuses to send Lazarus back to warn the rich man's brothers, it's not that he's denying them some extra lifeline. It's because he knows that a warning from some ghost is too little. Terror is not enough to save their souls. They need something better. They need something more hopeful. And he says they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And that's a bit perplexing. That's a bit cryptic. When you think of Moses and the prophets, what do you think of? Perhaps you think of the entire first half of the Bible, the Old Testament, and you think of laws and regulations, and you think of the people of Israel falling into sin and God's need to forge a new covenant in Jesus. Perhaps you think of all of that, but there is something better in Moses and the prophets, and it is promises. From the beginning... From the beginning, Moses tells us of the promises of God. Already, from the moment that Adam and Eve fall into sin, there is the promise of God that one day an offspring of Eve will be born who would crush the serpent's head, who would destroy death and the devil, who would bring life into this world that had now been plunged into darkness. Already, from the beginning, there's a promise of a Savior. And that promise is carried throughout Moses and the prophets. Isaiah speaks so beautifully of that servant of God who would suffer on behalf of God's people, who would suffer because of your sins and mine, who would pay the price for our sins, who would take into himself the anguish and torment of Hades that we deserve, God himself, who would suffer that in our place. That's already there in Moses and the prophets. That is hope. That is what those brothers, what that rich man should look to for the future, that is where they should put their trust. That God has promised a new covenant where he gives us new hearts and his own spirit so that we don't have to be afraid. So that we don't have to fear either sin or death or the devil or hell itself. 
because he has sent his son into the world to love us, to redeem us from sin and death and hell. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. There's that perfect hope. There's the love of God poured out on the entire world, that love which casts out all fear, that love which prompted God to say to Abraham, fear not, even though Abraham was old beyond measure and had no hope of having a family, God said, fear not, for I am with you. And he made him promises. And he kept those promises. And when Abraham believed God, he was not a man who was fearful. He wasn't even a decent man. But he was a man of faith who heard God's promises and believed them. And God counted it to him as righteousness. That's your hope as well. In the face of a world and the devil and your own sinful flesh that wants you, insist, in fact, that you must live in fear. That's the only way. You have a God who has made you precious and abundant promises. No more clearly seen than in Jesus who died on the cross to forgive your sins. No more clearly seen than in Jesus who hands you his own body and blood to wash away your sins, to make you clean, and to promise you that on that last day, There will be no chasm fixed between you and your Heavenly Father, but that you will abide with Him forever. Look at your life and see. Are you abiding in love? Don't ask. Don't ask whether or not you've been a good person, whether you've been decent, whether you're better than Scrooge or the rich man. Don't ask that question. It doesn't matter. Instead, ask this. Have you trusted in God? Are you afraid of death and hell, or have you trusted in God? Have you heard his word and believed? Have you thought too little of it, or do you put all your stake in what God has promised, because that is your only hope, and he has shown himself to be faithful? Listen to Moses and the prophets. In fact, one better, listen to Jesus, who came to fulfill all that Moses and the prophets foretold. Put your trust in him and repent. Repent and believe in him. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen.